God's word today that we're going to meditate on for the next few minutes comes from the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter, starting at verse 21, where we read, Jesus and his disciples went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, from our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mark, who is the author of the account of Jesus' life that is the basis for this message, might have actually still been a young boy when he first met Jesus, found himself hanging around with the disciples like Andrew and Peter and James and John. He seems to have become a companion, an assistant of sorts to Peter, later on also to Paul. Now, I like to imagine Mark listening to Peter tell the stories of Jesus over and over and over again after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended back into heaven. Maybe he's making a a mental list. Maybe he's even jotting down the sequence that Peter followed in his preaching and his teaching. And then somewhere along the way, maybe right after Peter was killed in Rome, martyred for proclaiming Jesus to be the Lord. In the early 60s, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, Mark set about the task of writing it all down. Did you know that someone has called Mark's gospel account an American gospel? Because it is fast-paced and it is action-packed. And immediately, which occurs twice in our reading for today, is Mark's signature phrase that pushes the story forward with an almost breakneck speed. This is the season of Epiphany in the calendar of the church. It is a season of revealing, of of unwrapping who Jesus is and what he has come to, to do with his newly chosen disciples from last week in tow behind him. Now, Capernaum, you may know, was a a city on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It, It was the headquarters for a while for Jesus' work. Peter actually had a home there. 
It was located on what was called the Via Maris, which was the Roman road constructed that connected the Mediterranean coast to the great city of Damascus farther north. In Jesus' day, archaeology tells us that a harbor had been created by building a 2,500-foot-long, 8-foot-wide seawall that had piers for boats extending out 100 feet into the lake. Capernaum was a thriving city of mostly Jewish inhabitants who who labored as as fishermen, as farmers, as artisans, as merchants, and all kinds of officials, and of course the ever-present and annoying tax collectors. There was a garrison of Roman soldiers stationed at Capernaum, and Capernaum enjoyed an enviable degree of economic prosperity. Now, the Sabbath day in Jewish culture was not just a day off from work. The Sabbath was the day where God's time and human time intersected. At the creation, the Sabbath was the day on which Jesus looked around, God looked around at all that he had made through his word, through Jesus, and he declared it to be very good It was the day on which God and men met together and they reveled in the beauty and the splendor of all that God had made. The synagogue was a gathering place where they met to hear God's word and have it explained. Now, the foundation of the synagogue in our reading for today can be clearly seen beneath this structure that was built from imported white limestone, a clue to Capernaum's prosperity in the fourth century, but on the same site. Now, all of that detail to impress on you things that Mark didn't have time to tell you when he was writing his gospel, that we are talking about a real place with real people at a real time and real events. This is not just legend or or myth. Now, as we continue on in the reading, it's it's tempting to, to rush on ahead to the exciting part, to the casting out of the unclean spirit that comes next. But, but we have to stop. We have to stop first and get our heads around what exactly was Jesus teaching that so astonished his hearers. Now Mark recorded it just a few verses back from where we are reading. In fact, this is the verse that we heard last week. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I know because we say it over and over again that you have heard it many times, and yet I'm never ever quite sure whether it has taken hold of your life. And that is that the kingdom of God is the world, the entire creation being put right. 
that Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension set into motion the cosmic restoration of this planet. This has been God's promise since the very beginning of time. Heaven and earth, God's space, God's time, God's real present, reunited with humanity's space, humanity's time, humanity's reality, brought back together and reunited. This was the entire reason behind God choosing Abraham and establishing the nation of Israel through his descendants. They were supposed to be the city set on a hill. They were to be the light shining in the darkness, drawing all peoples, all nations back to God to live together with him in perfect peace in God's real presence forever. But that message, the message of the kingdom of God and the promise, <laughs> it had been twisted into a nationalistic exclusivism, a selfish story of their nation first, and ultimately only their restoration, their predominance, and perhaps the destruction or at least the subjugation of all others to their greatness. Now the scribes, each according to their own political point of view, taught the people the stories of their past from the Old Testament. They instructed them on the meanings of the Ten Commandments and how they were to keep them. They even acted as lawyers in their civil disputes that arose. I'm thankful I'm a New Testament pastor and not a scribe. They prefaced their teachings with phrases like, according to Rabbi so-and-so, and then depending on who they had aligned themselves with, went on to teach. In other words, they only spoke with a second-hand authority. So, for example, there was a leading rabbi named Hillel who was known for his mild and open-hearted approach to interpreting the spirit of the law. Whereas his younger contemporary, Shammai, was, was strict-minded, and he insisted on fulfilling the letter of the law. And I'll let you decide which labels to attach to them today. But Jesus stood up, and he said things like this. You've heard that it is written, you shall not murder. Truly, truly, I say to you that anyone who hates another human being is guilty of breaking this command. In fact, anyone who dismisses another human being as useless or as worthless stands condemned. See, Jesus spoke not with a secondhand authority. Jesus spoke with the primary authority as if he was speaking God's own word to them directly, which, of course, he was. Look, 
Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God into their moment in time, but he was doing so in a completely unexpected and in a disturbing way. It was not, blessed are those who can yell the loudest. It was not, blessed are those who puff themselves up with pride and condescension. It was not, blessed are those who seek to destroy those who oppose them. No, it was, blessed are the poor in spirit, that is, the humble. Blessed are the meek, which does not mean weak, but rather calmly courageous. It was, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, the bringing of this kingdom of God, the world put right, little by little, person by person, through faith in Jesus, is the task that he left to his followers to continue from the time of his ascension until he comes again. And all human history is being driven by this divine reality that in Jesus, the kingdom of God, the world put right, is at hand. Now, do you understand what that means? That means that all of the geopolitical conflict that is going on in the world today, that means that the outcome of this year's presidential election is in the hands of and under the control of our God who is determined to bring his kingdom more and more into existence here and now until Jesus comes again. If your candidate doesn't get elected, can you still believe that God is up to something perhaps beyond your comprehension, probably beyond your expectations, and more than likely not according to your liking, to facilitate the advancement of his kingdom? Do you understand that the advancement of your career, or maybe its demise and the possible redirection of your life is directly linked to God's plan to bring his kingdom to light. Do you understand that, that the college that you choose, the degree that you chase is part and parcel of his kingdom agenda? Do you understand that your marriage and your family and your friendships are exactly the place where God is seeking to grow his kingdom? Look, this next part sounds so strange. To our sophisticated, educated, scientifically advanced 21st century ears where we have relegated the, de the demonic to Hollywood for our entertainment. And Satan smiles and he whispers, that's right, nothing to be afraid of here. 
You're all doing just a wonderful job of being in charge of your own life, being in charge of your own world. Oh, and look how well you're doing. Surely in another billion years or so, you, would have evolved, you will have evolved even to perfection. In Mark's account of Jesus' life and work, the silencing of the unclean spirit is the opening attack of a running battle that will end at the cross. And it is at the cross at exactly the moment where Jesus dies, where it looks like evil has won, that Jesus turns the the table and uses evil against itself to destroy its power over you and over me. And Jesus' resurrection is the proof that it is truly finished. Now, Satan and all of his demonic horde are defeated. And yet, like a wounded animal, they thrash around, still seeking to convince human beings that they can be in charge, that they can put the world right without God, and humanity keeps falling for the same dumb lie over and over. Which is exactly why Paul, another of Jesus' early followers, had to write to the Christians in Ephesus, put on the whole armor of God, people, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers in the heavenly, in this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Today I want you to discover the heart of God in Jesus' authority. Jesus is ruling and he is reigning even now over all things, pushing the battle toward its grand finale when he will come again in glory to make all things new, the world put right, the kingdom of God completed once and for all. Trust in Jesus. Believe in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his sending of the Holy Spirit, and his promised coming again, and he will begin to restore your life and our world little by little, bit by bit. Let Jesus be in charge. Look, every single one of you here in this room is ruled by something. You are under the reign of someone or something. And the truth is that any ruler other than God will eat you alive. It will consume you. Self-rule, self-management is a figment of your imagination. And it is Satan's favorite playground. It's exactly how he led humans to break God's good creation in the first place. You can be in charge. And your excessive anger and your obsessive anxiety are the evidence that someone else or something else is ruling and reigning in your life. Look, when things are going very well in your life, which I pray to God is the case for many, if not most of you here this morning, 
That is often the time when it is most tempting to think that you are, in fact, in charge and doing a pretty good job of it if you can't say so yourself. It takes a conscious effort and a daily discipline to surrender your life to Jesus and the coming of God's kingdom. We have to constantly be like Peter and James and John and Andrew last week where we drop everything and we follow Jesus. We put him and his kingdom first in our lives. We let him take charge. And instead of coming apart, he starts to put us back together. Of course, it may not be simple. It may not be easy or smooth or a painless transition. Look. The unclean spirit convulsed the man violently before it came out of him. The battle against addiction can be long and brutal. Marriages and families are sometimes ripped apart even when you are trying to follow Jesus more and better. And aging... (laughs) Aging slowly erodes the daydream that you were ever in charge of your life. When things go terribly wrong and we beg for relief, if it doesn't come, then we must cling to the promise that God is even in our suffering, doing something that we may never comprehend. And still, it is a hard prayer to pray, Lord, take this from me. And if that's not what you think is best for me and for the coming of your kingdom, then Lord, help me be patient and open to your presence. How do you do it? How do you and I come more and more under the right rule and reign of Jesus? Look, I I can give you some of the ingredients, but but you're going to have to mix your own cake (laughs) with the help of the Holy Spirit. Be in God's Word, that is the Bible. Read it, mark it, learn it, and inwardly digest it. Be in fellowship with other believers where you talk about your faith and how it's working day to day. (laughs) Read a book. Stretch your understanding. In a day and an age when the world is at your fingertips through technology, find a preacher who proclaims God's word in a way that speaks to you, even if that's not me. And listen, 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 because faith comes by hearing. Remember your baptism. Every time you see or taste or touch or hear or smell water. I'm reading a novel right now entitled The Covenant of Water. And the opening scene is set in the 1900s in India among Orthodox St. Thomas Christian community. And I read this quote, and it it made me think of baptism. Here it is. All water is connected, and in it, the world is limitless. Think about that. All water is connected, and in it, the world 
is limitless. In the water of your baptism, you are connected to Jesus and your world is limitless. God's kingdom is coming. Now get up in the morning, remember your baptism, repent continuously, forgive, love, serve, praise, learn, and go to bed. And then get up the next morning and read the instructions on your shampoo bottle. Rinse and repeat. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen. Here's your weekly awakening question I would like for you to discuss with one another. What are the areas of your life that you find yourself struggling the most to surrender to the authority of Jesus? What are the areas in your life that you struggle with the most to surrender to the authority of Jesus?